0: Welcome to the SDA Housing Podcast brought to you by NDIS Property Australia. Before starting this episode, we need to provide a general disclaimer. Information contained in this podcast is general in nature only. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. You need to consider your financial situation and needs before making any decisions based on the information in this podcast. And you should consider seeking independent and professional advice for your personal circumstances. All right, let's begin.
1: Everybody, uh, you're listening to the SDA Housing Podcast, a show that explains, highlights, and talks about all things in the NDIS world. I'm your host today. My name is Matthew, and today we're joined by two guest speakers, Alex and Sam. How are you doing, Alex and Sam? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having us here today. Excellent, excellent. So can you guys just uh,
2: briefly just tell me about what you guys do, who you are, yeah, sure. Again, thanks for having us. Myself, Sam Tucker, and Alex Marshall. We started Specialist Disability Accommodation three, or four years ago. We're an SDA provider and SDA developer based in Adelaide, South Australia, and we uh, operate in South Australia, but also on a national scale. And we're looking to expand our presence all around Australia.
1: Excellent. No worries.
2: So, do you guys? So, uh, how long have you guys been kind of operating for? As I mentioned, yeah, three or four years. I think we originally originally started the business and been more active over the last two years. We came together because uh, we we met each other in our other careers. Alex has got twenty years experience in the disability sector, and he had experience developing disability accommodation prior to the NDIS coming in when he was working at his um, his family's business, SA FA Care. My background is in commercial property, um, in property valuation and consultancy. And I met Alex because I was actually valuing some of the the accommodation that that SA Care were developing and that Alex had been directly involved in. And we got chatting. We had similar interests, and we saw that saw that there was some opportunities as the NDIS was evolving. And you know, the long short story short is that we saw there was an opportunity to create a business um, in this sector with my background. You know, being one side being the commercial property side of things and, and residential property and Alex's being disability. We thought it was a, a really unique and, and good, good mix to take on this, uh, this new sector.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah, I suppose, uh, the, you mentioned it's about been about four years. It must have changed significantly, you know, over that course, uh, in terms of what you've been exposed to and the way the industry's changed, I suppose. Alex, did you want
3: to jump in on the industry? I think um, personally, I I, you know, for me, it's been better part of fifteen years developing disability accommodation. So we were doing it back when it was really the low, the really low quality stuff, and we were doing it to a much higher level. And um, so when the NDIS came along, this it was a bit of a you know bit of fresh air because we thought that you know it was going to make everyone's lives a lot easier. However, you know the the size of the NDIS and some of the tricks that come along with it uh, obviously makes things something's complex. But especially the last couple of years, I think three to four years ago, when we were starting to talk about it, and I'd already been developing property in a different sort of structure. The and oh, um, when I say developing, it was I was working in it. I was I've been a carer, I've done a lot, so I really get the the space. So when it came around to three or four years ago, everything was fine. It was pre COVID. And then COVID comes in and that really, I think, put a damper on a lot of things happening. Added had a lot of complexity in the supply chains, building and things like that. And especially when you're doing apartments and you're doing complex builds, it really made it even more challenging than what it should have been. So, yeah, I I think that in itself was a challenge. And then um, I think the NDIS has as much of it as it's a great thing it's also a twenty billion dollar beast that has a lot of complexity, and um, by and large, it's great. But we all get to the same roadblocks while we go through the NIS. So,
1: yep, yeah, yeah, we've encountered that as well. Yeah, so I suppose that uh, leads into my next question, which is kind of what projects you guys have done over over the years. Yeah, so
2: while we've been you know together working for a few years now, uh, our first project. Probably started two years ago with a set of old tennis courts out at Salisbury in Adelaide's North. We kind of embarked on some designs and looked at what we could do and, and originally it was going to be villas or townhouses or, or, or you know, single level development, but the council was calling for multi level development and we had plenty of land. So we embarked on uh, an ambitious project of doing 15 apartments. So 14 two bedroom FBA apartments at nine Brown Terrace Salisbury and a carer's office and community space, all centrally located, so very close to services, which we see as being really important. We were lucky enough to we were lucky enough to partner with with Barwon Investments on that. I think you may have yes, money
1: had them. Yes, we actually had a podcast. Yep, yep. correct.
2: Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Partnered with them, and that was a fantastic experience. And we had our first residents move in in February into the apartment, and we've partnered with SA Care to do the on site support and we are currently we have two vacancies. So we've been really, you know, working really, really hard to get to get residents moved in. We've got a happy community. We've done a couple of couple of nights in the community room where we've had the footy on and put a barbecue on. I know there was a pancake, pancake morning on the um Anzac Day morning. So yeah, we've been we've been working really hard to create Apartments that are designed to allow independence, so you don't have to feel like you, you know, you don't have to be a part of the community, but with an offering that it does allow people to interact and and be a part of the community if they want to be. So, Perfect. Um, that that's that's our first finished project. Um, and it, it you know, it was quite a, a large uh, original a, a, a large first project to embark on, and now we've got another eight apartments that are being built. Um at the moment in Dandenong, so in Melbourne's south eastern suburbs. And we are in planning for two houses at Gillies Plain, which would be High Fitnessport and Robust, one of each, and then a number another couple of houses out at Gawler in Adelaide's north.
1: Okay. Yeah, no worries. Excellent. So that's really good. Um, with the with those projects that are coming up, when do you when do you expect them to be completed?
2: All of them are gonna be around the middle of next year. So okay. Dandenong, Dandenong might be slightly before the middle of next year, so it'll be, it'll be quarter quarter two next year, and I reckon around July for Gillies Plains and Gawler. so they'll all be hitting the market at a really, relatively what time. Excellent, excellent. And
1: I know you guys kind of started in in Adelaide. Um, can you can you tell us just a bit more about kind of the SDA space in Adelaide? Because a lot of people in, are just cottoning onto Adelaide being a great location for SDA. And um, there hasn't been that much development there compared to say Queensland or New South Wales. So could you just go into a bit more detail about the Adelaide market for SDA? I
3: might say something here. But, um, the the Adelaide space, I think, I think there's a couple of reasons why people are now going oh, Adelaide's a big place. But I think given the challenges in the area around costs and you know cost to build et cetera, I think Adelaide's become very attractive because it is a cheaper cheaper city than say Sydney, for example. The SDO space in South Australia, I think it's got its challenges. Um, the existing stuff that's been developed, um, you know, I think when you're looking at the mix of accommodation, a lot of accommodation was built, there was a, there was a fair few apartments built straight at the start in the city. However, Adelaide's a lot different to Melbourne and Sydney, where people are all used to living in apartments and the like. And, you know, it's, it's a lot denser. However, in Adelaide, so I think. The CBD apartments have really struggled in South Australia because of that. You know, it's not where family networks are. It's not where the client, you know, participants grew up, you know, and that's where you want to be. Um, You want to, you want to be close to your family network. So our offering of apartments, although we're not CBD, we're in a major sort of hub right next to the, all the services. It's where you grow up. It's where people's names are. It's where their friends and families are. I think that's a, a really what thing people are getting is that
1: yeah, yeah, that's a big takeaway point because I think a lot of people who investors might think to themselves, oh, well, I just need to be just closer to the inner city. I need to have it nearby, you know, amenities, yeah. whatnot. And while that, of course, that is important, obviously, lifestyle relating to family is almost just as important.
2: Yeah, and yeah. and what we what we find just going on from what Alex has said is that. You know, if you if you're there, there's obviously the land cost which restricts too much development in a city, but it, but yeah, it, it is that factor that the people who are going to be renting this type of accommodation often they are in the outer areas and are more from a middle to lower socio economic background because a lot more of the affluent, if if you are and this is very general, but if you're From a more affluent area, you may it may be that you don't need to have this government assisted rental accommodation because you know you may have family members that have been able to either accommodate you in a larger house or potentially build something as an investment and then use that as as a house for their disabled child or a disabled family member. So. We're finding that a lot of the people that are going into our project at Salisbury, which was deliberately selected in a in a, 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 a slightly further out location, are from that local area, and, and their families are really liking the space because they can come and visit within five minutes, and, and it does make a big difference. Right. Yep.
1: Yep. Excellent. Yeah. So do you, do you see, in terms of obviously the these developments, he has been around for some time now, uh, do you see kind of What changes do you see happening in the SDA space in the next year or two? In terms of, you know, just in terms of both the design of what's required as far as what the NDIS is mandating uh, versus, you know, what's acceptable in terms of both what an investor might be interested in as well
2: as a participant. We think there's been, I think one of the things we've found, and this has been noticeable having built apartments, is that there, There seems to be a there's a difficulty in getting single occupancy in apartment into people's plans. It is a long, drawn out process. And I think naturally there's been a shift. And I think that's because there's a big gap in in the pricing guidelines between apartment and house and then down to villa as well. And so I think that's how it started, because people were chasing those opportunities where the feasibility stacked up best. And I think now that there are those challenges in getting the higher funding for residents. People have shifted back to the more at grey designs, So houses have been kind of next because they stack up relatively well in the feasibilities as well. Villas are harder to stack up and, you know, it makes sense. There seems to be a lack of villas across, certainly around South Australia, but, I you know, I think that it's probably a national issue where there's a lack of villas as well. And again, it comes down to the feasibility. So, what we're hoping we're going to see is some potential adjustments to the funding where there might be a closing of the gap. You know, apartments can stay put, but hopefully there's a, a, a potential increase in house and, and villa in particular, villa in particular, because then people will be more incentivised to develop them because it will make more sense. And, you know, the other thing we'd like to see is we're actually developing a robust house at the moment and we're sort of dipping our toes in the water there, you know, it's a bit of a, we would love to see a house, single occupancy house option or I guess an inc- increase in the villa funding, ro- robust funding to encourage people to do more robust development because one of the biggest challenges as an FBA provider, not just a developer, is that, you know, there's that on- unknown around the un- the um, ongoing maintenance costs yep. as well. So. You know, we're very keen to, to get into that sector, but you know, it, it, it has to be viable as well. Yep. I completely agree with that. Because one of
1: the other factors that we kind of discussed as well is that with robust, um, because of some cases how they, they cannot live with another robust participant, um, from an investor standpoint, that adds an element of unpredictability yeah. to that feasibility, I suppose. Which I'd like to see um, in the next year or two addressed yeah, or something to something on that end, I suppose. Yeah. And I just in your comments about housing and villas, yeah, with the because we saw with all these interest rate increases, a lot of people are going more towards apartments. And given the fact that an apartment is a more, I suppose, a predictable outcome because you're just looking for one participant uh, versus a house where you might have, you know, if it's three bedroom. So say it's a four bedroom. You've got three potential participants in that property. You, you look at the average, the average amount of people per dwelling in the regular res- residential market. That's only one point nine. So, um, is that viable given the fact that you might only have one or two participants in that house realistically?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, well, and I think the challenge comes from the apartment thing to occupancy looks on paper like it's the easier option, but mm. it's that getting the funding. Of single occupancy and also apartment into people's plans, which is more difficult. Via you know, it's not as easy to get. Yep, Yep. and it's and the 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 cost doesn't
3: come back to the cost of the apartment. That's not the that's not the tricky piece. It's it is quite obvious that if they give single occupancy apartment to someone, they're going to give twenty four hour one on one care to someone as well. So that's where the true cost lies. It's not actually in the cost of the apartment. It's in the care costs. Like I'm, yep. I'm lucky to yep. be in a CFO and a disability care company. So I really understand true cost of providing care and the, and the true cost, it far outweighs the cost of the upper. So I think, you know, it's between, well, while we're talking about it, I think NDIS has done those numbers and they go, they okay, go, well, it's going to cost us a lot more on the care front because we're going to have to match the, match the single occupancy with single, single you know, single one-on-one care. Yeah, that's all cost blows out. It's not actually the cost of the new combination. So that's the reason why they like to have two people sharing, three people sharing, because there are those periods of the day where you can actually save a lot of money and the ICE can save a lot of money where they can share the care costs. And I think that's the, that's where the real true cost is for all of this. So they, they'd love to get everyone in four bed you know, or three bed houses sharing because it does it. It makes a huge difference on care, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. For three participants, it'd be, I, I could see it three or four hundred thousand. You say, yeah. So the additional cost for a house of say $10,000, um, the difference between single occupancy for a, you know, townhouse versus an apartment of say twenty 000, thirty thousand dollars 30000 that's not where the cost is. The cost is actually in care. So, you know, and that's why I want people to share. So the whole, I think in, when it comes to that, back to that question of what is, you know, fair and reasonable, what is reasonable, which it throws around in, in the NBIs. Yep. In, I think what you'll find is there'll be a lot more shared, you know, townhouses, like villas. I mm-hmm. uh, which I suppose is a compromise between the two, I guess. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a compromise where you've got two participants who can share and, you know, it flies on the bit of the face of, you know, choice and control where you'd like them individually you are know, being forced to live with another participant, but it's um it's a it's a huge cost. So I think what will happen, and I is what I'd like to see, which is a ritual question, is there'll be better money in that space because you know places like Sydney can't afford to do it. It's yep. just everything's ground complete halt. And probably the same in um in built up areas. So yeah, so there I think we'll be a in funding there. And I think that'll go Australia-wide and I think that that will open up the floodgates a bit um, because, you know, anything below H- HBS and Robust, I can tell you that it does it doesn't make sense in South Australia, so it definitely won't make sense in Sydney.
2: And yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons that South Australia has become, I think, popular on people's radar is because the location factor isn't a third of what it is in Melbourne and Sydney like it probably is in terms of property prices. So it actually, Adelaide stacks up under the... The, the current scenario better than a lot of other areas. I agree. So yep. I think when, when you say why has Adelaide come onto people's radar, I think that's why it's come onto people's radar because you can still make it stack up in the Adelaide metropolitan area but better than you can somewhere else in, you know, anywhere up the eastern seaboard really, unless you're in regional areas. Hmm. I was just going to say we're actually you know, taking a little bit of a risk on the villas and, and doing, we're embarking on a few projects in sent on central coast of New South Wales as well, because we think that, you know, there's going to be a need for those shared two person villas. So that's another exciting thing we're looking at at the moment. Awesome. And
1: do you guys, um, in Adelaide, is there anything you'd like to see more going into the future about
3: how SDA is done or how it should be done? I think one of the biggest things, and it's not just in South Australia, to be honest, is there's a real, there's a push to separate uh, care and housing, which I completely understand why they do that. It's you know you, if someone doesn't like their care team, they don't lose their hire. That's the point of it However, I think there needs to be a far closer. And this isn't really about the built form. I think there has to be a far closer relationship between care provider and the SDA provider, because when you wrap them together in terms of care and you know speed, it's, you know if someone's needs change really quickly, you need to be able very You need to be able to have a you know someone on site within 24 hours to make a change because people's needs change. And if you've got a really positive, good quality relationship with the provider on that site or in at home, you have got to get better feedback from the site. Like quite often, participants can't; they don't have a voice for themselves. So it's up to the care team to be able to make that make that phone call for them and say, "Yep, yeah, I need this changed." My needs have changed or whatever it is. I've come out of hospital and I need this. So I think there has to be a really, a really good, strong relationship between those two. And I think, um, that's forgotten. But, and I I think a lot of that comes back to when you're matching clients as well to live in houses together is that there's a, there's a real disconnect between, you know, if someone's providing care of the house and there's one participant there, you can block other people from coming in. Yeah. Vice versa. The SDA provider can do similar things. So there needs to be some sort of mechanism or way where there's a stronger there's a stronger bond between those two with working hand in hand to get a better outcome for the participant. However, it can't come at the expense of if a participant doesn't like their care yeah. they don't lose their eye.
2: That's, the, mm. that's the key. And I think Alex is speaking from experience particularly with you know in his, his past in, in the sector but also what we've been experiencing since February moving people into, Salisbury, that relationship. I mean, the SDA provider, in our case, we are the property manager. So we're taking on that role and we rely on the carers to be the voice of the participants sometimes so that things can get done quickly for them. And I just, I think, you know, a word to investors out there would be around that, you know, when you're investing in this sector, it's understanding that, that, you know, who is actually providing the care to your participants who are living in your houses. it, It does. You know, it does make a difference, I think. It can't be just seen as a pure property sector where that doesn't matter because the residents do need a lot of care. A lot of them do. So mm. so I suppose it's a healthy mix between
1: efficiency and getting something done for the participant or the investor or someone who you know, something needs to change and then also giving giving that, I suppose, choice of control to the end user, which is the participant, to make sure that they yeah. actually there actually needs are accounted for in decision making processes, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, right. yeah. Have you guys seen any other challenges that you've noticed in the
2: SDA space? I think there's all the obvious ones, you know, that I'm sure every other person who's come on here has said, which is increased cost of land, increased cost in construction, price guide at the moment is probably out of line because of external factors, you know, that, you know, that the NDIS couldn't control. But You know, they're probably the major things, but I guess one of the things it's it's actually getting, you know, getting some of the funding into participants' plans and having to work with support coordinators and all of that side of things is is something that we spend a lot of, well, just something we spend a lot of time on, and I think a lot of people don't probably give enough credit to that. You know, how you find the tenants, how long it takes to work with their families, their support networks, and you know, and meeting with them and, you know, me and Alex make it, make a we're very hands on. So if we have a participant who makes an application, we'll go above and beyond to make sure that they can see the property. We'll go visit them. We'd like to meet them. You know, we want to make sure that if we do a building, you know, if they've got a pet that's, that's, you know, that's not a massive, I don't know, like a huge dog or something like that within reason, dogs and cats. You know, a, a welcome. Someone wanted a snake. We said no to that. We told you a story earlier this, about this morning, Alex having to retrieve a cat from behind a cabinet. So, yeah, we, we may be regretting our decision, but within reason, you know, we'll, we'll go and we, we'll try and make it people's homes because that's exactly what it is. You know, Alex will paint the pictures for people on the wall. Some FDA providers don't like to to um to allow that. So, you know, we had someone who wanted a, a purple wall. We we'll paint the pool. The, the wall purple, it doesn't matter to us because it's their home. So, you know, I think, but in that you're meeting not just the resident, you're also meeting with their families, their support, and you're having to put a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of energy into that process. And I think that can sometimes be misunderstood by people who are calling up calling us up, wanting to get into the sector without probably understanding the complexities of it. And I, I'm sure you guys have that as well, where 100%. people call up, we you know, haven't had a lot of experience and, and they they haven't really taken a lot of that stuff into account. Yeah, yep, yeah,
1: yeah. So we a lot of yeah, a lot of people just don't realise different stakeholders in the industry and how it all fits together. Because they'll see it from one perspective and they've kind of got a bit of tunnel vision when it comes to how everything links up. So obviously part of our job and one of the reasons why we created this podcast is to kind of educate people about different people who play a role in the process of creating the right the right environment in an SDA, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent,
3: yeah. And I think that's that's important for others to hear as well. Is um, the the mum and dad investors? I think they're the ones who. It's a hard one. The mum and dad investors, although they're important to the industry because they're going to keep things going, I wouldn't encourage it because you you know you need deep pockets to feel vacant mm-hmm. you know to have vacancy and stuff like that. Like, at the moment, if you're just going to be an investor into standard residential property, you can go find someone the next day and they'll pay the rent. However, in this space, you may be waiting three, four, five, six months to get the right person in there. Uh, And, you know, uh, people don't understand that. People don't understand how tricky it is. And the mum and dad investors, you know, this is their super they're dealing with. It's the rest of their lives. So if the investment doesn't go right for them and they're not getting the returns that they – on they read on some piece of paper, you know, or they got on Facebook of like 10%, which doesn't exist. It's just, there's a real disconnect between expectation and, and then where the rubble meets the road. It's, it's a business. It's hard. It's, uh, it's a people business. I think- Yes, it right is. Yep. It's the yep o- your, your investment is into people, not, not, a, not a product. Exactly. Yeah. Like, people think it's a property play, but it's not. It's a people play. It, that's where the that's where the challenge is. Is people have this different expectation and think it's just easy. Wake up a house and someone goes in there, but every day they're selling different. So, would you? Can you guys offer any?
1: Well, kind of wrapping up now, but can you F, offer any final advice for someone who's interested in entering the NDIs
2: space? Um, I, I would say. I mean, I think Alex just put it put it pretty pretty well there. It is it it's a it's not a property play. It's a people play and. You know we we love the challenge that we've embarked on, and and you know it's a very very exciting industry to be a part of. I certainly love my day to day, and I'm sure Alex does as well most of the time. But you need to be up for the you need the hands on experience, and you are dealing with not just participants but their family and their friends and their support workers and network. You know you've got to be up for that type of challenge if you're looking to get into it, and. Because that I think that's the reality of the industry, rather than just being the nice number that sits at the top of the the pricing matrix at 100 grand a year as a rental income. That's a small part that comes out the other end if everything else goes right. Yeah, yeah. This is on every everything else going right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to get all those other things right first, and then you know you can enjoy you know the fruits of what is a, a really good a really good industry to be a part of. But. Mm. Yeah, you do, you know, that other stuff has to come first.
1: Yep. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for today, guys. Uh, thanks for having a moment to talk to me about your business. Could you just share, uh, if people wanted to get in contact with you, what would be your best, um, what would be your details, I suppose, for your
3: website? Yeah, sorry. The, the The website is au. When the NDIS came about, I went and bought that, about 20 other domain names around it, so... Um I was lucky enough to have a really good website, but that's where you go and you can see our projects. Our phone number is on the website and um, our contact details as well. it's it's the scheme name with dot com Excellent. I tried to buy NDIS.com T but but
1: I think um and I try to do the same if you could, but yeah.
2: Yeah. And now social media uh we're on Facebook and i don't know what our name is on facebook but on instagram we're SDA underscore housing yeah we've got all our projects on there and we're keen to chat to anyone who's interested to talk to us excellent
1: awesome all right well thanks so much sam and alex uh, great talking to you check these guys out if you guys are if anyone listening is interested in their projects and uh we will speak to everyone next time on our next episode thanks guys thank you
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you are subscribed and following us so you can keep in the loop with all of our upcoming episodes. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating, a written review, and to share this podcast with those that could benefit. Until next time, catch you on the next episode.